Welcome to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. This is a space for community, healing, hope, and education around topics of rescue and growth. Our prayer for this series is that it illuminates a deeper understanding of struggles within and around us, as well as God's profound love and redemptive light in Jesus Christ. Hi, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Deep Light. My name's Mark Davis. I serve as one of the pastors of Park City East Presbyterian Church. And we're in a series on limits. And uh, what does it mean to actually uh, surrender to the, to the Lord who made us, who gives us gifts? I mean, He really does. He gives us amazing gifts, but He also gives us limits. Nobody is great at everything. And um, sometimes we, we don't like that. Uh, we have a tough time surrendering to that. And so that's what this series is about. And if you feel your own limits, you're not alone. And we hope that this podcast will be an encouragement to you for how we talk about the person of Jesus Christ in our life and our union with him and how he uses those weaknesses uh, to show us his grace, which is an incredible gift, which the scriptures speak about. Today, Kevin Joseph is here and we're going to talk about his life and hear a bit of his story, which is pretty remarkable. And I'm very, very grateful. Um, He has served uh, on the mission field uh, in a closed country and has been used by God to do many amazing things. Not long ago, he came back to the United States and has been uh, now on our staff at PCPC. So we're very, very grateful uh, for Kevin, for his wife, Ashley, for their kids. And uh, anyway, I think you're gonna be encouraged by the conversation we have. At any time, if you would like to reach out to us, if you have a question about faith um, or you need encouragement in prayer, you can always reach us at deeplight at pcpc.org or you can call our church office at 214-224-2500. No matter where you are in the world, uh, reach out to us. We would be happy uh, to help get you connected to someone who would love to walk alongside you. So welcome to our conversation. Kevin, thanks for taking time uh, to sit with me this afternoon and talk about limitations. Not everybody wants to talk about those. That's true. Uh, And we didn't invite you because I sent you (laughs) profound limitations. Um, I think we know the right things about scriptures that speaks to that. But I know you have a pretty remarkable story, and I'm looking forward to personally just hearing more of it today. And I know that those listening or watching um, will be blessed by what you have to say. So, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. So let's start. Tell us a little bit about your family yeah. and then go from there back to your own story of faith. Like, how'd you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I'd love to hear that. Sure. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Ashley. We mm-hmm. have four kids. My mm-hmm. oldest, Karis, is at Oklahoma State. She's a mm-hmm. sophomore there. Yeah. I've got a senior in high school, Eli, Joseph, and then Hudson's a junior, and then Noah's in eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. So I remember when they were very, yes. very little... And you and Ashley begin to feel the call right. to go on the mission field. We'll get there in a minute. But tell me just about your own journey and how it began with your faith in Christ. Yeah. Well, I grew up here in Dallas, and I loved sports. Mm-hmm. I just loved everything about sports. I played basketball and soccer and baseball. And I had collected baseball cards, had posters on my wall, and just dreamed of one day being a professional baseball player. I wanted to play in the major leagues. So that was your favorite sport? That was my favorite sport by far. And so I just had in my mind this idea that if I could one day be like my heroes, like Dwight Gooden of the New York Mets, that that would be, you know, life to the full, and Mm -hmm. I would have a stable and secure existence. And so I just dreamed of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So who are your favorite players and teams? So not everybody's watching this, so they have no idea whether you're old or whether when they see this video, they'll know I'm old. But what season are we talking about in terms of you aspiring to be an athlete? Yeah, so when I was growing up, I liked the New York Mets. That was my favorite team. Growing up here in Dallas, that's Growing up here in Dallas, yes. What was the connection? You know, I, I lived in Chicago in middle school. I don't know. They had a pitcher named Dwight Gooden mm-hmm. who threw really hard, and I just really liked him for okay, some reason. That's interesting. So, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was my my team, and I just, yeah. I mean, I, I played sports with the aspiration of making it one day. Yeah, yeah. And so, and you did. So we'll get to that yeah. part of the story in a minute. So, yeah. what about your own relationship with the Lord? Mm-hmm. When did that begin to transpire? Yeah, so I, I, this, I, I really thought baseball and sports was the most important thing in my life. That mm-hmm. was what everything revolved around. I didn't grow up going to church mm-hmm. uh, very often. We had Christmas and Easter, um, wonderful parents and uh, family, but faith wasn't a big part of our lives. Yeah. And so uh, my sophomore year in high school, uh, I had a friend that I played baseball with share the gospel with me when I was mm. 14. Wow. Yeah, um, 
walking to 7-Eleven one day to share the gospel. First time I ever heard the gospel. Interesting. Yeah, and I believed it was true when he told me. So he just uh, explained that he asked me if I would, you know, if I would go to heaven, and I told him I was, because I would, because I'm a good person, and that he explained that it, you know, going to heaven was based upon what Christ had accomplished, not not what we do, and so, uh, but we place our faith in Him as a way to be reconciled to God. So I, I trusted Christ then, and um, was it that very day on that walk? Yeah, I mean, I, that's when I when I believed, and I was actually that summer was recruited to go to Trinity Christian Academy to play baseball, mm-hmm. and so that was the summer before. And I've been doing summer reading associated with uh, English classes. That was, The Robe was a book, wow. yeah, that was really impactful. Um, yeah, but the Lord had brought a number of things together that I just, when I heard the gospel, I knew it was true. Wow. Yeah. And you were how old? I was, a, I was uh, let's see, I think I was 14 years old. Okay. Yeah. So we were about the same age. Yeah. I was 15 when yeah. I came to Christ. And, um, you know, for those listening, when we talk about that relationship, if you're not, if you're new to Christianity, just exploring it, what we're talking about is the way God, through His grace, reveals to us the truth about His Son, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's in His Holy Word. And the way God most often does that is through another person who's already a believer who either is praying for others to come to Christ and is just kind of listening to the Holy Spirit's prompt. And so yeah. your friend, your teammate, you know, yeah. on that walk to 7-Eleven, I'd love to have known like what was going on in his heart and mind yeah. as he felt led to ask you those questions. But clearly, and we, we call this irresistible grace. There's a moment, and for you it was then, that mm. the light kind of came on. You're yeah. like, I do believe that. Yeah. And so when that happens, we believe what Scripture says, that we are born again. Uh, we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And it doesn't mean we suddenly uh, have all of our problems fixed or life's now going to be easy. It might actually mean the opposite, mm. especially as we talk about limits. But the dynamic is we now have a relationship with Jesus, which we describe in terms of our union with Christ, that He, through His Spirit, lives in us. Yeah. Uh, so I was going into my sophomore year okay. when I became a Christian, I was not near the athlete you were and are, um, but I had the same desires. You yeah. know, I didn't aspire really to go into the NFL. Football was my sport, but I was on a really good team in a really good school, and having come to Christ right before really began to change mm. everything in terms of how yeah. I saw life, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you um, you come to faith. I come to faith. And then... Later that summer, I guess, August, you go yep, to TCA. Go to TCA, yep. And so I, then I have exposure to other believers. And it's the first time I really had exposure to God's Word. And mm-hmm. instrumental coaches, Steve Adair was my baseball coach. Mm-hmm. And Coach Garland was my basketball coach. Guys that loved the Lord and were good coaches and cared about me. And so that was really helped bring me along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, That's exciting. Yeah. So at what point during high school um, did you begin to experience, I mean, you're, you're an elite athlete, so yeah. you're having obviously a lot of success. What were the kind of limitations you might've felt, whether it was athletically, physically, relationally? Mm-hmm. I mean, what were some of those things, even as a high school student, you experienced? Yeah, you know, I, I really wanted to, I had big goals. Like I wanted to get to the top. I wasn't satisfied with just uh, success at a, at a high school level. So mm-hmm. I wanted to play in college and, and realize that in order to do that, there, I mean, it's a, the competition level is pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. So I recognized um, that there were a lot of other good players that were really talented and that it would be a, a difficult path to reach those goals. So how did you, because you're 15, 16, yeah. 17 years old, how did you confront, you know, those those limits, that yeah. that reality with also the aspiration that, okay, if I work hard, if I do this, yeah. this is a possibility. Yeah, you know, I, I think at that point, I was so young in my faith that I didn't handle that great. I mm-hmm. think that sports still had a pretty strong grip on mm-hmm. me of as far as identity mm-hmm. and wanting to achieve. And when I failed at being pretty devastating, um, I think it, it took a while for me to see really the, the ultimate purpose of why I was playing sports. Mm-hmm. So how did you deal with failure before you really knew how to deal with it in terms of in Christ? I just got really discouraged. I got, you know, if I played poorly, I'd feel dejected and like I didn't have value. And Mm. and I um, and would think that the only way that I can have redemption in that is if I have success. And so Mm. it just life like that is a roller coaster. You know, Mm. it's just if you're doing well and everybody's happy with you, then you're okay. And and if not, then it's, you know, in the doldrums. And were you... In terms of position, pitching already was that your? I was not. I was okay. a shortstop in high school. Okay. 
and I was recruited to go to college and played shortstop in college, and it wasn't until my junior year of college that I was converted to a pitcher. Really? Yeah. That seems odd. Yeah. I mean, is that is that common for something like that to happen in terms of transition? Uh, it, professionally, like they usually you're, you're drafted based upon uh, projections, like mm -hmm. where they think you'll end up in a few years. And mm -hmm. so the fact that I hadn't thrown a lot, had a good arm, hadn't thrown a lot, it was clear that if I wanted to play professionally, it would have to be as a pitcher. Okay. Yeah. So then that changed kind of your yeah. trajectory in terms of how you practice, what you were doing. That's right. All right. Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So um, I was playing shortstop. I probably started about half the time my freshman, sophomore year, and then got beat out uh, in that position. And it became clear just that it, I, I wasn't going to be able to continue with that position and, and reach my goals. So um yeah, it was tough. It, it's hard to switch positions at that level and then try to compete against guys. You know, I'm new to pitching. Everybody else has been hitting and doing really well. So yeah. it was pretty humbling. Yeah. yeah. So where did you go to college? I went to Rice University down okay, in Houston. So yeah, you're, down, you're at Rice University. Yeah. You played a good bit your freshman and sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Then you get beat out. Mm -hmm. Okay, talk about that. I want to hear that. Yeah, part same of your story. thing. Same. I think the same as far as the grip that sports had on me was the same experience at that point of mm -hmm. just feeling like absolute devastation that if I'm not accomplishing things in sports, then I don't really have much value. No. Um, and, you know, I, I knew the Lord, but as far as, it was almost like a stronghold in my life, probably an idol in my life mm -hmm. that was coming before the Lord. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that was a tremendously devastating moment for me. So you use that term stronghold. Yeah. And I know what you mean by that. A lot of people might not. So unpack that for me. What is a stronghold? What is an idol? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, an idol is really anything that comes between you and God that you put before God in your life. And um, these can be good things. It can be things like family or friends, things that are gifts from God. But ultimately, if they have an importance in your life that is greater than God, then they attempt to fulfill a role that only God can fulfill. And so baseball is not uh sufficient. It doesn't bring satisfaction. It doesn't bring old joy. It's actually pretty tough. You know, mm -hmm. it's a fickle sport where you fail most of the time. Mm -hmm. So when you place that in your life as, as the penultimate thing, then you're, you know, you're ultimately setting yourself up to be discouraged a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I love to speak of strongholds and idols in the way, uh, you know, one of our missionaries here, Rick uh, Lehman would talk about that, where it's, there is a, um, temptation to put our security in insecure right. things. And I love that you mentioned they're often good things. Mm. They, they really are. They can be so many good things, but once they try to occupy that space of your ultimate security, yeah. if I arrive, if I get drafted, mm -hmm. if I find a spouse, if yeah. we have children, you know, all of a sudden when those things don't happen or they don't pan out the way you hoped, you begin to see how insecure they really are. That's right. And there's only one secure thing, and that's the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ, which is our permanent and primary identity and our first, I love to say it now, our first and our forever identity, mm. which is really, really incredible. So you make the transition, obviously, yep. uh, from playing shortstop to beginning to pitch. Right. Um, talk about that transition and just watching people who already had, th you know, they knew how to throw a curveball. Yeah. Knew how to, you're yeah. learning all of that. Uh, what was that like in terms of your sense of limitations yeah. and how you could grow past them? Yeah, it was a long process, really, of learning that position. I mean, I, I was drafted after my junior year and played professionally, and and it took me a few years into my professional career to really figure out the mechanics and yeah. the strategy. There's different kinds of pitchers uh, who throw different kinds of pitches, and so all, I had to kind of work through all of those different uh, iterations of trying to be one kind of pitcher and moving to another kind of pitcher. But it was a humbling, long and humbling road uh, to get to a point where I could effectively get people out. Yeah. Yeah. So you you were drafted. So who drafted you? So I was drafted by the San Francisco Giants. Yep. Uh -huh. Okay. So I signed in the minor league system. They're at the top of the system is the major league team, which everybody sees on TV. Right. But then you've got A and then double A and triple A mm -hmm. that you have to work through in order to get to that major league level. So I started out, you start out at short season A, mm -hmm. which for me was in Portland, Oregon area. Uh, so yeah, so started out playing professionally there as a pitcher and it's, you know, you play baseball every single day and you're on a bus when you're not yeah. playing. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I mean, there's gotta be so many stories just in terms of what yeah. was going on in your heart and mind mm -hmm. as you're experiencing all of that. So as you move 
you know, obviously you have a lot of talent because you haven't been pitching that long. Yeah. They, they see what they see. They believe you can be developed. Yeah. So what was every day, just kind of go through a typical day. What was it like at that yeah. stage in your life? Sure. Well, you show up to the field at, you know, two o'clock or so and you're, you know, the game is not until seven o'clock. So you're doing kind of training, uh, getting ready for the game, going through drills in preparation for that seven o'clock game. Um, I was a relief pitcher for most of my most of my time playing professionally, so mm-hmm. you don't pitch until the end of the game, typically. So you're just all all that time from two o'clock or three o'clock on is just preparing for like nine thirty at night when you're going to come into the game and face their best hitters. So you're just you kind of get into a routine of how to prepare your body and your mind and in order to do that. But you do it every single day. Wow. It's the same thing over and over and over again. Was that? Exhilarating, exhausting combination. It's a, yeah, it's a transition for sure. Like you, it's a, it's a pretty exhausting. The competition part's exhilarating. Mm. Uh, even when I finished playing the game, like when it would be like nine thirty or ten at night, I would be like wired. Yeah, because <laughs> I'd trained myself for years to be ready for that one moment. Yeah, yeah. And then just the adrenaline of that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Totally. So, um, what are some of your favorite stories? You know, when you were pitching and yeah. I know a couple of them, you may want to show those or not, but sure. they're, I think, just incredible stories. Yeah, um, you know, I, I played with the Giants organization for about four years and made it uh, up to AAA with them, but I was in spring Major League Spring Training mm-hmm. with, with them, and so I got to be on that Major League team with guys mm-hmm. like Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent, and um, yeah, so that was a, a pretty exhilarating experience. You're almost like a tourist. You're like half baseball player, half tourist yeah. in the locker room, just staring at guys and you know it's hard to imagine that you're in that spot but yeah because it's like they these are guys on baseball cards that's right? it that you that's would have right. collected the as guys a young that were boy, on my poster and they're right yes, in front of you totally yeah, it's yeah. pretty awesome yeah it was awesome but now you have to get them out like you have, <laughs> you have to compete against them so i had a funny experience with barry bonds i i was beginning of spring chain they have something called pitchers batting practice which is usually batting practice is more for the hitters but for this one is more for the pitchers. It's equally to let the hitters see pitches, but pitchers are throwing as hard as they can. They're not like lobbing it in there. Yeah. Um, and so I had Barry Bonds came in. This is the year he hit 73 home runs. This is the big Barry Bonds. Uh, so he came up to the plate early. It was, I think we were like two or day two or three in camp, and and I was feeling pretty good. And I think he was just getting into camp and getting in shape. But I. I was just, I mean, standing up there as Barry Bonds in front of me is just exhilarating. And so I threw him a fastball, like, that kind of rode in on him. And he, t- <laughs> he took a big swing, and it jammed him. And the ball rolled, like, four feet in front of home plate, and it broke his bat, and he kind of threw his bat down. And I was just like, this is the best experience of my life. <laughs> uh, I was so excited. Uh, and so the next day, you know, I was – in camp and the manager came up to me, Dusty Baker, and he was like, wow, you know, I haven't seen too many people do that to Barry. That was really great. So I'm just on the top of the world. The pitchers, we were over there bunting, um, practicing our bunting, and I looked from the corner of my eye and here comes Barry. It's just big, imposing man, Barry. He's not a little man. And he walks up to me and gets right in my face and just proceeds to just absolutely wear me out. (laughs) Tremendously colorful language Uh and all that telling me how he's going to take me out on the street next time. And I don't know if he's wanting to fight me on the street or hit the ball on the street. <laughs> I didn't ask for clarification, yeah. but the pitchers, are they're egging him on. Oh, they're, sure. they're saying, hey, Barry, I bet he called his parents and told him about it, which I totally did. <laughs> uh, but that was baseball. Like, in baseball, is, that was a, a fun experience. But just getting to interact with your heroes and being mm-hmm. a part of that world that you dreamed of mm-hmm. and being in interesting situations. So when you're playing, you know, in, during that season of life, you obviously are a believer already. Yep. When did you begin to understand yeah. the dynamics of idolatry mm-hmm. and w- were able to tell this is occupying too much of a yeah. part of my heart, my yeah. life in terms of priority, et cetera? Well, talk about that. Yeah, I was invited after my first year of professional baseball to go on a mission trip to Zimbabwe. And it was uh, my pitching coach had invited me. He was a believer, and he we were going to use we we're going to help choose the Zimbabwe national baseball team and use that as a platform to share the gospel. And at that point in my life, I'd, I'd shared the gospel. I shared my testimony one time, I think. And so I was pretty still pretty new, young in my faith, but prayed and thought the Lord wanted me to go. And so I went and. Um, 
And it was a life-transforming uh, experience. Mm. I, I, because I was wearing this major league uniform, I was able to share the gospel and everybody was listening to what I was saying mm. and uh, we saw some people come to faith and I just, I realized that the reason I was playing baseball was to be a light for the gospel. Mm. And that, you know, it wasn't about me getting fame and fortune and baseball cards, but because of this platform, I could, I could reach people not only in America, but throughout the world potentially. Mm. So I just came back to spring training the next year with a just completely different lens where it was like, there was freedom from, I mean, performance was it's always a little bit weighty, but it was a more of an idea of like, I've got people, I've got teammates from all around the world that I can share the good news with. Mm. And so that's where my focus kind of shifted away from thinking baseball was about me to thinking baseball is a tool that I can serve the Lord. Which there is freedom in that, it's which freedom. is amazing, you know, because you have that dynamic of, oh, this is what calling really mm -hmm. is. God's given me these gifts, yeah. this passion even throughout my life. Yeah. Now I can use this as a platform to make his name known. Right. Did you experience, you know, when you had that new kind of sense of what your purpose was, did you experience though, even their limits to what oh, you yeah. could do? And what, how, how'd you confront those? Yeah, I think what some as far as limits that I experienced in that was I still didn't, like I hadn't been discipled and I didn't know, you know, my knowledge of the Bible was pretty limited. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be a light for the gospel, but I had limits there. And yeah. so we had, I, I talked to like one of the first spring trainings I had was another guy who was a believer. We decided to show the Jesus film uh, to the Hispanic players. And there was a guy whose locker was right next to mine uh, named Milton De Abreu. And Milton was like the prototypical baseball player as far as lifestyle of going out and would always make fun of me for reading my Bible. Well, we invited these Hispanic players, probably five or six showed up. And Milton, as soon as he saw the Jesus film was transformed. Like he wow. it just came to faith, repented of his sins and immediately just was a changed person. And he's mm. so excited that he went and rounded up all the Latin guys to show it again. Wow. He wanted everybody to be able to see that. Um, and so they, we got, I don't know, 40 or 50 guys in there and nobody even made it through the movie. Nobody else had the same response Milton did, but I felt like I had this responsibility now to disciple him. Yeah. Um, and I was myself probably needing discipleship. So right. I just, you know, I had this habit of, I would read the Bible and I would underline things in the Bible that seemed significant to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I would go each night, Milton wanted me to come by his room for accountability that he wouldn't go out. Mm. And we'd read the Bible together. And wow. I, would, I would knock on the door and when he'd answer, he'd say, Jesus wins, because he didn't go out with the guys. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and so then we, we would just go through these things that I'd underlined in my Bible and talk about them. Um, but I was like, I remember having him memorize the names of the 12 disciples. I was like, I don't know what you should learn, but yeah. maybe you could this learn that. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I'm not sure if I told him about baptism, but I, he knew the disciples. He knew who Bartholomew was. <laughs> yeah. Adios, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Something. He's got that down. That's really funny. Yeah, but it's like, I think the limitations of, of the sense of like, uh, you know, I have limited knowledge, but I, I look back and think the Lord was, was with me and helped me and he yeah. grew and... It was enough for that chapter of his life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important yeah. because sometimes we don't want to admit limits, you know, because yeah. it makes us feel weak. But when we are the, are free to do that, it's like, okay, God's put me in his life. Yeah, He will give me everything necessary yep. to help lead this man further along in his faith. But it sounds like he probably also was giving you a longing to learn more. That's right. And that probably led you to a place of, I need to ask that's somebody right. to give me help. That's right. What'd that look like? Yeah, so I had the, the same gentleman who invited me to go on that mission trip ended up discipling me, this pitching coach. Mm -hmm. And so I began to grow and, and understand theology more, and, and it was really a process. So my life in baseball was during the season, I would try to do Bible studies on the teams that I was on, and the offseason would go on mission trips mm -hmm. through the same organization, using baseball as a platform to share the gospel, and, and was being discipled along the way by these older believers. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How many different countries, or do you even remember that you went to? It was like four or five. We were in Africa, we were South Africa a couple of times, mm -hmm. Zimbabwe, uh, Thailand, Philippines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were bouncing around. That's fun. Yeah. Always the same thing though. You're in your uniform, yep. which draws yep. people. Doing camps and clinics and, yeah. and then you sharing our testimony. Yeah. yeah. I love that. You know, one of the things I love to talk about with evangelism is passion and pain. Yeah. So if you start with passion, what's your own passion? Well, baseball, mm -hmm. other people have that same passion. Yeah. They're drawn to a common place. So it's easy to start talking about all sorts of things. But then the ultimate passion is going to be the passion of Christ. Right. You know, how he was right. sent uh, to, to live the perfect life, die the death we all deserve to die. 
um, be raised from the dead, ascend to heaven, um, intercedes now for us. It's just a pretty remarkable story. Mm -hmm. But then I also would love to listen for people's pain because if you go back to Milton, he's watching this film. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know behind the scenes what God's doing to bring yeah. him to that place. There's a point of pain in his life, even though mm -hmm. he's trying to cover it with all the, you know, sensualities of the world, I would yeah. imagine. Um, that pain brings you to that place of, that's the man I need. I need mm -hmm. that savior. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. When um, did you meet your bride? Tell me yeah. about that. So we we met my last two years of playing baseball. We were married. So about a year before that, I was playing professionally with the Giants organization. Mm -hmm. It was an off-season where I was coaching basketball at Trinity Christian Academy. She okay. was finishing her senior year at Texas A&M. Okay. And we were introduced by a friend who knew that we both had a heart for missions. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So we did started having a long-distance relationship through, you know, me bouncing around city to city and yeah. her here in Dallas. Okay. Yeah. So how long did y'all date before you got married? About a year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's we great. dated for a year. Yep. So we got married and then we once we were married, she joined me doing that lifestyle of baseball. I think we moved fifteen times in two years. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I thought I moved a lot. Yeah. Fifteen times. Fifteen times, yeah. Wow. What was that like for you guys? It was great. I mean, we loved I was it was a mission field. She she was doing um Missionary, she was doing work among juvenile delinquents mm -hmm. um, in the Texas juvenile prison system. Mm -hmm. And she had really had a heart for that and then left. And, and the Lord just gave her a heart for baseball wives. Um, mm. And she still does baseball chapel to this. She's the Frisco Rough Rider chaplain to the wives. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but she just has a heart for these women and, and it was fruitful ministry. We saw people make professions of faith from other countries that she was instrumental. And ah. yeah. So it was, it was a, uh, I mean, it was challenging, but it was kind of the beginning of what our marriage would look like. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, you, God wired you yeah. and her the way yeah. he did in order to be able to do yep. what he's called you to do. Yep. So let's kind of end, end into that chapter. Um, you guys are married. You're going to eventually have four children. Mm -hmm. um, you both have a heart for missions. Yep. I've always respected from the first time I met you how I could just sense your desire to truly listen mm. for the Lord's voice hearing his voice through his word and spirit, discerning his call, yeah. uh, that internal call that you both feel then affirmed by the external call of others saying, we believe this is what God's right. called you to do. Talk about that journey and some of the dynamics that you experienced yeah. as it relates to whatever limits you might've felt, whether those were personal limits mm -hmm. or external limits based on maybe the places you were going and restrictions that were there. Yeah, so we we both had this heart for missions and weren't sure whether it would be short term or long term. So I was I knew I needed training, so I went to seminary. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was in seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary here in town, and uh, just started that journey. Began coming to PCPC, and one of the concerns I had with with missions was I just didn't want it to be. I didn't want to drag my family to a foreign land and great difficulty, and then realize after I got there that really this was more about me and trying to do something difficult or, you know, some Christian ministry version of the big leagues yeah. that I was pulling my family into. So really to, to interject there, we can make even something great, like yeah. ministry, an idol that can be more about us than yeah. it can the king. Yeah, and yeah. I knew myself enough to know that I could do that. <laughs> yeah. And that sports, you know, that sometimes get a, those kind of things, challenges get a grip on you in a way yeah. that can control you. That's really insightful. So I, I was like, okay, I got to make sure that I follow as best as I can what the biblical model is for being sent. And so, you know, we came to PCPC and really wanted to be examined and known and sent out just as that's, you know, Paul and, and Barnabas mm -hmm. were sent out from Antioch. There was agreement among the elders and they were sent out. And so we wanted to follow that model as best we could. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really worked out that way. Um, mm -hmm. We came to PCPC, had a great experience and we're... Um, were sent out. Mm -hmm. yeah. As you guys were going through um, just discerning that call, yeah. what sorts of things did y'all do in terms of assessment? What were mm -hmm. the kinds of questions that you felt like you had to answer and understand about your own strengths, weaknesses, how you're going to work together as a team, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think that being a missionary is like you're, you're really tested. Uh, you're, you're far away from home and whatever weaknesses are within you are going to mm -hmm. come out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like the the tea kettle idea that, you know, the it's going to come out when the heat is up. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that looked like um, 
of having difficult conversations about, you know, areas of weakness in our life mm -hmm. uh, that maybe we, in, in a different context, are not as big a deal. Yeah. Uh, Marriage-wise, being able to communicate and, and work on our marriage so that we were handling adversity, handling arguments and, and disagreements in mm -hmm. a God-honoring way. Yeah. Um, those are the kind of things we work through. I mean, theologically, making sure that we were in, in the right place, just yeah. that we want to make sure the message that we're bringing to the nations is the, is the message of the scriptures. Because sometimes people forget that you're still a husband and a wife. Yeah. And because you're two saints, you really yeah. are. Saints is the best word to describe us because of who we are in Christ. But we're also saints who sin because we're not in glory yet. Yeah. There's going to be dynamics in marriage that have to be dealt with. Then you're raising young children too. Mm -hmm. And the dynamics of seeing their little sins, big sins, right. the challenges that they face. And when you're in a place, it's not like you're able to have a lot of small group right, time and right. open community where right. you can share some of the struggles or exactly go to right. seminars, et cetera. So sure. like, did that feel lonely? Did that feel at times like, gosh, we're just kind of out here by ourselves trying to figure all this out? It did. I mean, it's it's certainly a challenge. It's hard to be away from home and some of those the support system that you have. And I think that's why the calling element was so important to us mm -hmm. that we could, when we were on the field, to be reminded of our calling mm -hmm. and to be sure that this is what he called us to. Um, so that that suffering didn't feel in vain and mm -hmm. um, and that we could lean upon the Lord in confidence that we were walking on the path that he had for us. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up calling because I think calling is everything, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's to go on the mission field or to, to not go. Yeah. You know, as believers, wherever we are mm -hmm. ultimately is a mission field, whether it's our neighborhood or even our, our yeah. home. But the dynamic of challenges are going to come. You know, whether it's a personal attack, whether it's external attack, whether it's attack against the family, the marriage. And when those things come and it's hard, if people haven't really d discerned right. and had that affirmed in terms of calling, they can't lean on that. Right. Right. So right. they end up in a lot of cases really flailing because yeah. they didn't have that sense of calling. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. that's certainly our that's certainly our experience. And. PCPC just played such a critical role in that whole process uh, from the time, the entire 10 years that we were there of uh, being a people that we could lean upon, that we knew were faithful in prayer for us, um, but also just the, to remember the process we'd gone through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you think about your own, um, your own walk with the Lord, mm -hmm. and you think about the dynamic of spiritual warfare, yeah. um, which you know, the scriptures talk about that in Ephesians, you know, that, that book a lot in terms of what we're really up against. Yeah. What are some ways in which you felt, um, you know, just the profound realities of that, those attacks mm -hmm. and the limits that we have, even yeah. though we have the armor of God? Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about that? Yeah. I think that some of the big lessons we learned over there um, was those limitations can be quite overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, I think when we moved over there, we thought... This is going to be difficult. It means a new language and a new culture and spiritual warfare. Uh, but once we actually arrived and began trying to do the work, uh, I think the impossibility of the task ahead of us just struck us. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that, can I read it real quick? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. This is beginning in the uh, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So you also must help us by your prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And I think what we learned, um, whether it be spiritual warfare or cultural differences, was that um, coming to the end of ourselves, being burdened beyond our abilities, was ultimately this opportunity for God to display His grace and power yeah. as we turned to Him in prayer. Uh, and that when we did that and saw Him deliver and provide, that our faith grew and that other people's faith grew and more gratitude this thankfulness to God expanded. Mm. And so that kind of became a model for us, I think, of how we handled the difficulties that mm -hmm. we faced. Um, there was one particular experience I had where we were using baseball over there to be able to share the gospel. And mm. 
I was in this, um, this kind of dorm room. It's like a lot of times athletes are sequestered to these military style academies where they train. And this was early on in our time there. And I, I was, there was this small room with three beds just crammed in there and this variety show on TV that was so bizarre. There was one guy on the team that spoke a little bit of English. And so he was my friend and I was gonna to try to share with him. Mm-hmm. And he, I, um, when I tried to share the gospel with him, he just had this completely dumbfounded look on his face. Like just mm. no understanding, no interest at all. And uh, when I tried to share the next time I saw him, he came and had this Buddhist book of prayer. And he's like, I'm so glad we had the conversation because I've started reading this now. And I was like, mm. this is like, I'm like leading this guy to Buddhism. <laughs> to Buddhism. It's like I've gone and told all these friends and family we're moving here to do that. It just, just seems so impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I had a period of time where you know, the baseball season ended and wasn't around him, but I remember leaning, kneeling uh, to pray at night with Ashley in the springtime and just asking that the Lord would give me another opportunity mm-hmm. as the baseball season approached to be mm-hmm. able to share with this, this young man. Mm-hmm. And... Um, got into bed and turned out the light and uh, my phone buzzed and I looked, picked up the phone and looked and it was a text from this guy. Wow. And this is what the text said. And this, this guy's had zero interest in this. Yeah. He says, Kevin, I would like to become a Christian. When I get back in town, can you tell me how? Wow. And I was like, what? Right after you prayed. Right after I prayed. Yeah. And this is like no interest. I hadn't talked to him in months about any of this stuff. I just prayed that the Lord would provide the opportunity. So when he came back in town, he explained to me what had happened. And this is what had happened. He was on an airplane with the team flying to another city, and he's petrified of flying. Mm. And so he's gripping the armrests and freaking out, and the guy next to him was a believer. And the guy next to him said, Jesus Christ can take the fear out of your heart. Mm. And so he, he said, if Jesus can get me down from this plane. I'm going to call my friend Kevin when I get back. Wow. <laughs> so, That's awesome. So that was just a picture of like the, I think we constantly felt like we were burdened beyond our strength. Like how in the world are we going to live here, share the gospel with people in such a way that they're going to totally change their worldview, yeah. that it just seemed beyond us. And yet like when we cried out to the Lord in prayer, he did, um, he did the impossible. Yeah. You know, when you take a story like that, and we as believers, we're not very good at this because our, our lives are moving so yeah. fast. And you pause, you're like, okay, I'm gonna just meditate and ponder what happened. You know, you have taken your entire family yeah. a long, long, far, far away from Dallas. You're in a very hard place, trying to learn a hard language a place where people don't have any context for Jesus mm-hmm. at all, in many cases never really heard of him. Mm-hmm. You're obviously discouraged, you know, in that moment where he brings back his prayer book on yeah. Buddhism. That desperation leads you to pray. And I would, I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth now, but I would imagine you should pray that you obviously believe, but there's probably a part of you that's like, right. does this even matter? Sure. Does anything gonna happen? But behind the scenes or above the scene, God knows what he's going to do. There's going to be a moment where in his sovereignty, who orchestrates a flight where this man who's terrified of flying is going to be sitting to another believer who's going to say something to him about his fear, back to pain, and he's going to essentially say a little prayer that if I get down from this flight, I'm going to call Kevin. And so I love that. I mean, God was just as interested in what he was doing in your life as he was the man that he was about to save. Yeah. And sometimes we don't pause long enough to really see the sovereign hand of God at work yeah. in so many different ways and what encouragement that had to bring to you. Yeah, and just remarkable. really shock. Mm-hmm. I think about the book Ruthless Trust where um, Brennan Manning says the greatest attribute of a trusting disciple is gratitude. Mm. And you mentioned thankfulness a minute ago yeah. and how when we see God at work and we, we pause to really give him praise and thanksgiving for who he is that bolsters that trust because this journey, this side of heaven, is going to be hard. We're yeah. going to be confronted with so many barriers, so many limits. Again, some external, yeah. some internal. So talk now about moving back to the States. Yeah. You know, your children are older now. One's a sophomore at Oklahoma State. I mm-hmm. went there. I told you that my first year, <laughs> first year of college. Um, 
what was different about moving here? How, how did you feel like these are gonna be challenges our kids are gonna face that maybe they didn't when we were overseas? Yeah. Um, limits as a father mm -hmm. and a husband. Talk about some of those things. Yeah, it felt like in some ways kind of relearning our own cultural context that we'd grown mm. up in. We'd been gone for so long yeah. and our kids really, our youngest was three months old when we moved over mm -hmm. there. So yeah. he, they'd spent the vast majority of their lives there. And so that was home. Yeah. So coming back uh, was a, a real challenge for them. Mm -hmm. um, trying to, uh, my daughter jumped into high school as a freshman at Pierce. And they just, a lot of the cultural discussions about movies, they just were all going over their head. Yeah, just, yeah no, no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> And so it, makes, it made for funny, you know, my daughter tried to order a whooper at Burger King and just there's <laughs> funny moments, but, but really there's a lot of pain and difficulty yeah. there so that we were trying to help them through and, and ourselves as well, just trying to, the rhythms of life are different. Mm -hmm. All the cultural things that we learned of how you show respect and love to people are different. Yeah. So we had to kind of relearn those things here. Mm. Yeah. What was um, the thing that, and did, but also now, really keeps you anchored. What are certain scripture passages that you find yourself quoting constantly or referring to just as good anchors yeah. to pull you in when you're confronted with either limitations or challenges, whatever it might be? Yeah. Um, I think the, the things that the Lord has used His Word to anchor us throughout, I think my baseball career, I always, when I was pitching, I would always recite, do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed for I'm your God. I will yeah. strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. I think the, the, the idea of God's presence with us, that he's with us, whether we're on the other side of the world or in Texas, wherever we are, that he's with us to, to help us um, has been of great encouragement to us. Yeah. And I think the our faith has grown from what we've experienced over there. You know, the, the, I mean, the story that I just told, but there's so many more of, of how, how God shows up when, mm -hmm. when we need Him and can call upon Him at any time. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've, our kids, one of the great blessings of growing up overseas is that that's built into them as well, mm -hmm. um, that they have a sense of, of God's faithfulness, of delivering us from pretty scary situations. Mm -hmm. um, so those aren't just like words that seem encouraging. They're like grounded in actual experiences we've had. So I love that, you know, that passage out of Isaiah 41, you know, I remember as a young Christian memorizing that, I was going mm. through the Navigator's Design for yeah. Discipleship and the topical memory system, and I don't remember the topic on it, so it's probably courage or fear, mm -hmm. but do not fear for I'm with you. And I really was just memorizing it almost as though this is like, a, almost like a good luck thing. Yeah. But now you unpack that, you're like, do not fear. Yeah. The living God, Father, Son, That's Holy right. Spirit, I am with you. Mm. And with you is not an idea just to be understood, it's a reality to be experienced. And the person of God yeah. himself is living in us, knows exactly what we need when we need it. Mm. He knows exactly what limits we actually need so that we'll cry out to him in yeah. our dependence and say, your power is made perfect in weakness. I love thinking about the way um, your kids grew up with that, mm. not just as something in Sunday school, because right. their experience had to be totally different, but no, this is a reality. Yeah. And now as they grow up, how do you see that impacting their lives? How do you see them really leaning into that? Yeah, I think that I see by God's grace that their faith is their own. And there's been times where we've had difficulties here uh, that my daughter has reminded us uh, of just perspective that, hey, dad, like there's not a foreign government that's trying to arrest you. <laughs> this isn't that bad. Like, remember, yeah, it's not that bad. And remember, I mean, just a reminder of the things that we went through that were real challenges that we saw God's faithfulness. So it's, he's built that faith into them and so that they're encountering it. We as a family, as we process through decisions, as we consider um, which way to go, as we face difficulty, that their, their perspective is, is rooted in what we've experienced of God's faithfulness as a family. It just feels like a, we had this corporate experience together. Mm -hmm. So we've come back and we have, I think, have that same bond of even though we're busier here and sports teams and that we kind of have a, when difficulty comes, that same, that, that same shared experience. So maybe as a last topic, yeah. when, particularly in Western culture that we're in, when we are confronted with pain, you know, our almost immediate reaction, and it's understandable, is we don't want pain. Right. We want to eliminate pain or something that's, Frightening. I think of the word anxiety and the culture of anxiety is just what we're, yeah. it's the air 
we're breathing in. And mm. I always think of anxiety as the reality of pain or potential pain confronting our limits to yep. do anything about it. Yep. So we have limited power, we have limited knowledge, we have limited presence, we can only be in one place at one time. Yeah. How would you encourage people when they're confronted with something that is, you know, at least appears like it's going to be painful mm -hmm. or they know it's gonna be painful um, to really anchor into who the Lord is? Yeah, I think that there's a, part of the culture here is, you know, we want to avoid pain and we have the means to do that. Like mm -hmm. we can, we can afford to have comfortable things. And, uh, but I think the, the passage that I read in second Corinthians is just, I think the idea of like having limitations as being a key part of how God can display himself in your life yeah. of welcoming the fact that uh, there's things I can't do, but that means that God's going to need to show up. So I'm going to cry out to him. Yeah. I think changes your perspective a little bit on it, mm -hmm. um, whereas you wouldn't, don't necessarily need to have respond with anxiety. You can, in a certain situation, can respond with with hope that the Lord will will help you, and 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 even in trying, um, just being on staff here of, of providing opportunities for pe people to be a part of ministry and. I think that I hear a lot just as responses to invitations to be a part of things that I'm not sure that I'm the right guy yeah. or I'm not sure I'm the right fit because I think there is fear and anxiety mm -hmm. associated with, but I think our experience overseas has just taught us that like showing up, just showing up is like 90% of it. Yeah. That, you know, if God is with us, if he is who he says he is, if we can cry out to him, ask for help, that he can show himself faithful and mighty. I think part of your story, and I didn't know a lot of the things you talked about, particularly early in your life, yeah. is that idea that even when you shared the gospel through the Jesus film with Milton, mm -hmm. that, that was his mm -hmm. name, right? Um, and then he needed a disciple, you felt your limits, yeah. but you showed up. Yeah. In other words, who else was he gonna go right. to? But you also realized, okay, I've gotta, I've gotta grow too. Right. I think our culture, unfortunately, is, oh, well, I need to make sure I've grown to the point where I'm ready. Sure. And then so often that never really seems to happen because yeah. people's expectation, maybe a closed mindset even, is that, oh, I'm not ready. And that's not the way the Lord works. I love how you talked about his, essentially his attributes being on display. Mm. He can display his greatness or his goodness. And I think one of the dynamics of your testimony is that so many times when you weren't sure what was going to happen, it was his presence mm -hmm. and he's omnipresent, all present, which then revealed to you his greatness. Like he has all the power that's necessary yeah. to protect. He mm -hmm. has all the persuasion that is necessary to move someone's mind from hostility towards the gospel to yeah. a humble dependence and reliance upon it, mm -hmm. you know, crying out, save me. Yeah. Um, you are in a new role, and we're really, really grateful that the Lord has you at PCPC. Talk for a minute about what you're doing, and then uh, we'll take a minute and sure. close in prayer. Yeah, so I, I'm going to work under Sam Leopold, who's uh, soon to be pastor of missions, and so I, I'm the director of missions, so I work, there's both a global and a local aspect to that. So yeah. we have initiatives that are closer to our church, uh, where we do outreach closer in, within our neighborhood, but also partnerships with other local organizations that, that are doing great work. So I help oversee some of those relationships, but also uh, we have missionaries overseas that we connect with that I'll travel and see and all kinds of stuff. PCPC's got a lot going on. <laughs> we do have a lot going on. And we hope it's centered always on extending Christ. That's kind of what we talk about, right. extend the transforming presence of Christ. So talk lastly about what was it like for you guys to discern the calling to come back and serve here at this church? Yeah, well, um, PCPC has just played such a critical role in our lives of, um, you know, I took, when we moved out to a different city in our, um, in the country we were serving, as a vision trip, Jerry Gibson came out with us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the morning he left, we were prayer walking, and the morning he left, there was a car bomb about a mile away from where we were staying that killed 31 people. Yeah. But I just have this sense of like, PCPC has been with us in all mm -hmm. of it. Uh, and so, when this opportunity came, it just felt like really a great blessing that we could continue that relationship and yeah. just be in it together for another chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. You know, I'm grateful for you all's response, as I mentioned earlier, the way you listen to the Lord mm -hmm. and discern his calling. And as a church, it is our great joy to hold out Christ 
here locally inside this building, outside this building, yeah. but then all over the world. That's right. And um, I'm going to pray for us in just a second, but as you've been listening, it is our great desire to hold out Christ. You know, you've heard a lot about the presence of Jesus, and we believe what Scripture says about him, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way uh, to eternal life except through Christ Jesus. But it's not just about going to heaven. It's about this intimate connection where the Almighty God uh, lives inside us through His Spirit and gives us everything we need to encounter whatever pain. Uh, and there's a lot of pain in this world, whatever fear. There's a lot of fear in this world. But we live in such a way where we don't deny the pain or the fear, but we live in this profound reliance upon a God who does display his power uh, to get us through whatever it is. He's with us, he's leading us, and he will never forsake us. So I'm gonna take a minute and close in, in prayer, giving God thanks for Kevin and his family and his work through them, but also praying for you. And if, again, you need anything, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at deeplight.pcpc.org or call us at 214-224-2500. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time today with Kevin, uh, getting the opportunity to hear a bit more of his story is so encouraging to me, and I've already been encouraged by so much of his life already. Lord, I remember the day um, that they were down in front of the sanctuary uh, when the hands were laid on them, and they were holding their little child just a few months old, and I remember seeing um, their family and just thinking about the cost, uh, seemingly how great it would be to go and even see their children and their grandchildren leave. Father, they heard your voice and they were obedient to that call. We thank you for that, Lord, for that example. We also are so thankful that you are faithful to give us your word, your spirit, that you are always leading us, that you're with us, that you will never forsake us. So anybody listening or watching this podcast, I, I pray that they would know you as their Lord and Savior. And if that's something that they're interested in, like Milton, you know, and like this other um, player that was terrified on the flight, um, that you would just bring them to the end of themselves, that they might surrender to you, professing their need for a Savior and would trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. If that's you and you're listening now, um, please let us know so we can help encourage you in your faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I pray over Kevin and Ashley and their four children. I pray you bless them, that they continue, they would continue to sense your calling in their life and the way in which you've anchored them in the past would continue to be the anchor that they need every day. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thank that you. That was such an encouragement. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for watching or listening. Hope you have a great day. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. We would love for you to be our guest this Sunday morning as we gather together for worship at 8, 9.30, or 11 a.m. We are located in the Uptown Dallas area at the corner of Oaklawn Avenue and Wycliffe Avenue. To find out more, please visit pcpc.org.